look up, I am here and the kingdom is breaking in on your life. Here's the good news, God has plenty of room for you. And he says, oh God, thank you that I am me. And he invited the least likely to the table. Yeah, it feels good, doesn't it? that theme of reframing the house. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Jesus makes this earth-rattling announcement that the kingdom of God is here. Dallas Willard said the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God was about something really big, something different, something that is to be experienced, not just spoken about. It is God's divine life that is available to us now. And we talk a ton about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven breaking in because this is the gospel. It is, we, we looked at the Bible project earlier at the first part of last semester. And it is this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, this eternal life breaking into a world that is full of chaos. It is, next slide, the justice and the beauty and the goodness and the presence of God, his eternal reign and rule breaking into brokenness and sin and injustice. So in Matthew 4, Jesus proclaims that the kingdom is near, and then he gives us a hint of what it might look like. And in verse 23 of chapter 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, whose suffering, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. News spread, crowds grew, and it was this bizarre mix of people. You had in the crowd, you had the religious and the pagan. You had sophisticated Greeks and Orthodox Jews. You had tax collectors and fishermen. You had um, both sinners and the self-righteous. But the bulk of the crowd, the bulk of the people were poor. They were left out. They were rejected. They were on the fringe of society. They were um, desperate people. They were diseased. They were paralyzed. They were demon-possessed. They were outcast. They were just common folk. So Jesus proclaims that the kingdom is here. It's show and tell. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God has come near, and then he demonstrates it with miracles and with healing and casting out demons from the oppressed. And then he climbs up a hill, and he starts to tell what the kingdom is like. The Sermon on the Mount is kind of a for instance. So for the next few months, we're going to be talking about, for instance, 
all of these incredible examples of what the kingdom is like. Are you ready for that? Yes. Okay. Matthew 5. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to preach. He moves further up the hill. Actually, it was this hill probably, off the Sea of Galilee. He moves up the hill not to get away from the crowds. Sometimes he did that. But this time to engage more of them. So there's Jesus, and he's, he's teaching his disciples, but there are hundreds, if not thousands, that are auditing the class, right? Huge crowd of people. And this is Jesus' inclusiveness. He is redrawing the lines of who is in and who is out. He's including the outsiders and the left outs. So the Sermon on the Mount is this main collection of what Jesus says about life and ethics and faith in the the day-to-day, moment-to-moment life of being a follower. But the way starts not with a bunch of commands. It starts with blessings. First 12 verses of Matthew 5 are what have been known as the Beatitudes. It's a Latin word that means blessing that Rick talked about. And it does mean congratulations. This is an announcement. It's not just happy are you, but you are filled with this interior joy that overflows into every circumstance that you have. Congratulations. Just turn to the person next to you and say congratulations. Yeah, it feels good, doesn't it? What for? Usually congratulations are for something that we did, you know, or some big mark in our life. And the really amazing part about the Beatitudes, especially these first few, it's like congratulations, period. Congratulations not because of what you have done or what you will do to deserve it. Congratulations because God is crazy about you. He loves you. These are descriptions of sheer grace, and this is shocking. It's shocking for them. It's shocking for us, because that's not the world that we live in. It is subversive. Blessed are the people. Congratulations on the people who lack, who are broken, who are empty and desperate, who desperately desire hope and peace and joy, and it is elusive. This is the good news that the kingdom of God is coming upon those who have absolutely no claim on it. God is on the side of those who have no business having God on their side. So, let's start. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a version of the Beatitudes in Luke as well. Luke's gospel. Luke, in his version of this blessing, He focuses on social and economic poverty. But Matthew broadens the definition of poverty. He says it's poverty of spirit as well. It's both and. I mean, God, if you read through the Bible, God has such a heart for the poor. That's a thread throughout all of Scripture. And it is a call of God's people. It's a call in the New Testament of the church to take care of the poor, to push back the effects of of the fallen world for the the most vulnerable. But there's also a a wider spiritual poverty, a poverty of spirit. So 
Jesus comes on the scene and he says, blessed are the miserable and the bankrupt and the beggars and the beat down and the, the marginalized and the inadequate. Blessed are the spiritually and emotionally spent. Blessed are the desperate and the failed. Blessed are you if you're at the end of your rope. The Gospels are full of these people. Jesus keeps feeding them and getting fed by them. He heals them. He casts demons and darkness out of them. He befriends them. Jesus keeps giving them hope. He keeps giving them dignity. He keeps giving them blessing. He isn't flippantly saying, isn't it awesome to be miserable? He is saying, look up, I am here, and the kingdom is breaking in on your life. It's especially for you. This isn't a virtue to obtain. This is a realization to be embraced. It's grace. Luke 18, Jesus tells a story. He says, two men walk into a synagogue. One is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's like the top of the top of the religious echelon. The other is a tax collector, the most hated in Israel, a cheat. The Pharisee stands up and he says, Oh God, thank you that I am me. Not like this guy. No, slime. And then he starts giving God his whole his whole job description and his repertoire, how great he is. The tax collector is standing on the other side, just beating his chest. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, take a look at these two men. Which one do you think walked out of the synagogue justified? Have mercy on me, sinner. The one who realizes his need before God. Jesus is closest to the people who are desperate. To the one who has all of the self-sufficiency, who doesn't need to repent in his mind. That person is really, really far from Jesus. This is a blessing of hope. This is a blessing of come near. This is a blessing of, for those who are spiritually inadequate. And some of us struggle with this because we want the blessing to seem reasonable. You know, we want to be qualified, don't we? We want to deserve it. It's hard to receive a gift. My grandma was the worst at receiving gifts. Jesus, she, she's, she's gone now. She's with Jesus. But Neva was this sweet little lady who I adored, but you could not give her a gift because she would always one-up you. You know? Grandma, can I take you out to eat? Yep. But I'm buying she couldn't receive it. She had to deserve it. 
And that is somehow wired in most of our DNA, you know? It's hard to receive a gift. We want to be qualified, but that is not good news. The Beatitudes are first and foremost for people in bad situations, not for people with good attitudes. So Jesus makes this announcement of congratulations, God blessing, God's blessing on those who are poor in spirit, not because of your ability to get it right, but precisely and in light of your inability to even come close. This was in breaking, this is restorative, this was kingdom. Say this is the gospel. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or blessed are the brokenhearted, the rejected, the overwhelmed. We generally think of mourning as to do with grief of the loss of a loved one. And that is definitely included. God's comfort definitely reaches those places of grief. But there are other places of grief as well. There is the, the mourning that comes with the loss of a dream or of a relationship or of innocence or of passion. We mourn the effects of sin. We mourn the suffering that we go through or those that we love go through. We mourn the way things are in the world. And those that mourn tend to find themselves in solitude, which is really unfortunate because it's tragic because those are the times we need community the most. But either we aren't ready to let people in or the people around us just don't know how to help. And so they, quote unquote, give us space, right? And so Jesus brings the comfort of the kingdom to those who aren't doing very well. God enters into the grief. He not only suffers for us, but he suffers with us. His suffering is redemptive. We mourn because we are confronted with the reality that things are off. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. We mourn the side effects of a fallen world. And then Jesus enters that grief. He doesn't diminish it. He is attentive in it. He is present. And he brings the promise of comfort. And as as we receive the blessing of the presence and comfort of Jesus, his kingdom hope surrounds our grief. There's even peace in the middle of it and joy. Sometimes we never experience true heart-filled joy until we've experienced gut-wrenching loss. Jesus' blessing of comfort is even to those who are struggling to hang on to faith in the middle of grief. There's a a man that comes to Jesus um, to get his daughter healed in the Gospels. Jesus said, it's possible if you believe. And the guy says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Help me in my questions, help me in my doubts. And the blessing is an invitation to let God into our grief. Someone wrote, if God comforts the mourning, we may may imagine how deeply and satisfying the mourning will be comforted. The comfort must be God himself. 
In Isaiah 61, Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. He said, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn. Blessed are they who mourn. They will be comforted. Say, this is the gospel. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. From an early age, we figure out how the world works, don't we? On the playground, who gets picked? It's not the lanky kid that has no jump shot. It's the aggressive. It's those who push the way to the top. It is those who strive to be best at the cost of their own soul. It is the pridefully assertive. It is the mourning people. It's the strong. It's the rich. It's the organized, the the smart, the savvy who get the earth. And that's kind of the way it's always been. That's the cultural narrative that has gone from generation to generation. In the fourth century, a guy, a monk actually named Jerome wrote, for no one possesses this earth here below by gentleness, only by pride. Jesus' words are subversive. Jesus says blessings on those who make no claims for themselves. Blessings on the powerless and the oppressed. If you turn meek into this, this profound sense of character, then you are flipping the beatitude for what it really is. You're saying blessed are the really good people who have it all together, who are the, the strong under control. Jesus is saying, no. Blessed are the shy and the intimidated and the unassertive and the one that's, if something goes wrong, they assume it's their fault. Blessed are those who make no claims on themselves, for themselves. Blessing on the powerless. Can't seem to get it all together. Here's the good news. God has plenty of room for you. You will be granted the earth, the renewed earth, the scene of the coming kingdom. You will discover that the Father has given you an all-access pass. Say, this is the gospel. And finally, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the last of the blessings on the broken. This is the blessings on the insufficiently righteous. And it's starting to move a bit from the the helpless to the participatory. To hunger and thirst is, is an act of pursuit of righteousness, of shalom, of everything being made Right, and the desire, the starvation for that is who Jesus is addressing. He's announcing blessings on those that desperately desire justice and truth and shalom for everything to be in its right place. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to crave restoration, a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people and a right relationship with ourselves and and with the earth itself. Jesus later in the Sermon on the Mount says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness belongs to God. He is the giver of it. But it's always paired with a rightness with people. 
Love God, love your neighbor. And you feel it, you know? You, you feel it when you read the news. You feel it in your own broken relationships. You feel it in your bones that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. There's a desire for the rightness of God to break into the wrongness that is all around us. Jesus says, yeah, that, that disyncrasy that you feel, that's the fallen world. Blessed are you when you feel it because God's righteousness is breaking in. This hunger that you have will be satisfied. This is the gospel. Do you know the verse that says, um, God helps those who help themselves? You heard that verse before? It's a trick question because it's not in the Bible. It's Ben Franklin, actually. Um, The message of the Beatitudes is that God helps those who simply need help. Jesus is announcing congratulations on the poor and the grief-stricken and the unaggressive and those desperate for justice. Jesus is offering the kingdom and the comfort and the earth and the satisfaction, and it's both a now and later promise. It's a two-part blessing. Because we're in this in-between time that Jesus died and was raised to life, and he is returning to bring everything into full restoration. And we talk about this all the time, but we're in this this now and the not yet, you know? And Jesus said, when he launched his ministry, he said, the kingdom of God, of heaven, is breaking in. And it's going to fully break in when Jesus returns and everything is put right. And so now we can experience a part of that blessing that we will later experience in all of its fullness. And so now the presence of Jesus, if you are in the midst of grief, Jesus wants to meet you in that grief. He wants to bring his peace and he wants to bring his hope. And that is tangible, but it's not full. If you're feeling this poverty of spirit, If you're feeling left out, Jesus wants to meet that with his comfort and with his presence and with his promises. But that's partial. So we have this eternal promise and this eternal hope, but we have this present reality. The good news is that there is nothing We can do to deserve it. It's not about your rightness. It's about his grace. The good news is that Jesus is opening up the kingdom to everyone. No one is outside the reach of God. That we have been restored to relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The furious love of God. The good news is Brennan Manning says that we can stop lying to ourselves. This grace saves us from the necessity of self-deception. God not only, not only loves me as I am, but also knows me as I am. Because of this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to him. 
I can accept ownership of my poverty and powerlessness and neediness. We want to hide our mourning. We want to hide our sadness. We want to hide our brokenness and our shyness. We live in a culture that pretends that they are not poor in spirit. We don't admit that we have problems. So the good news is that we can come out of hiding and say, Jesus, this is who I am, and I desperately need you. There's a gracious, no-cost, non-earned gift of blessing, hope, and restoration. So as we come to communion, if you're serving communion, if you could get that ready for us. As we come to communion, we come with a posture of open-handedness. I was thinking about each of these first four Beatitudes that are Beatitudes of brokenness. And Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is here and it is breaking through. And this restoration that you are so hungry for is is on the horizon, right? But Jesus also embodied each of these. He was poor. He had no place to lay his head. He was homeless. He wept over the lostness of Jerusalem. He grieved the death of his friend, and he prayed so intensely that his sweat became like drops of blood. He emptied himself of his status, Philippians chapter 2 says. He was rejected, denied, betrayed, and ignored. He was angry over injustice, and he died to make all things right and new. He entered into the pain and the chaos, both with his tangible presence and embrace and with this eternal promise of where this is going. And he invited the least likely to the table. In Matthew 9, he's accused of eating with sinners. And in a culture where you were judged by who you ate with, Jesus consistently ate with those voted least likely to succeed. The poor and the grieved. Picked. The unpicked. And the hungry. table is still set and because of the cross Jesus is inviting us to that table his word to you today is one of congratulations just like grandma Neva that's really hard for us to receive yes but said, no, receive, receive. So would you pass out this bread in this cup? As you receive the bread in the cup today, I'm gonna ask if you would hold the bread in the palm of your hands 
and then hold the cup with your other hand. This open-handedness that we are is, is the posture of receiving blessing. This open-handedness is the posture of receiving grace. There's another beatitude that doesn't show up on this list. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus turns to his disciples. The crowds are gone. It's just his, his intimate crowd, right? It's just the 12. And privately, he says to them, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. What have they seen? Well, they had seen miracles, and they had seen him walking on the water and healing people and bringing back people from the dead. They had seen him eating with sinners. They had seen him do all sorts of things that were amazing. But the primary thing that they had seen was Jesus himself, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for, the one that they had dreamed about, the one that, that would rescue them, the one that would redeem Israel, the one that would save the day. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So communion is bringing reality into focus. And there will be days when it's hard to focus, when life drops out from under you and all you can see is the situation that you're in. And you want to see the big picture of how it's going to turn out, but you can't and it's overwhelming. Fix your eyes on the blessing of the grace of Jesus. And there will be days when truth gets hard to discern because what you're hearing in class or what they're asking you to do at work doesn't line up with what God is saying. And the lines of reality or the lines of integrity get incredibly blurry. So fix your eyes on the blessing of the grace of Jesus. And there will be days when what's going on in the world is too much and you can't take it and you wonder how on earth we got into such a mess. And as creative as you are, you can't figure out how to fix it. So fix your eyes on the blessing of the grace of Jesus. And there will be days when apathy creeps in and you don't feel motivated to worship and you have no passion in your life to look at God's word and you feel numb and you wanna scrap this whole thing. Fix your eyes on the blessing of the grace of Jesus. And there will be days when people beat you up emotionally or verbally, days when you feel isolated and lonely. Fix your eyes on the blessing of the grace of Jesus. And when you turn your eyes on Jesus, when you look at his eyes, his eyes are on you. But once he has your gaze, he will turn your attention on those around you to people who have no clue to look at him in the first place. And you'll get to be the hands and the feet and the voice and the heart of Jesus. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see.